0: Uh, These questions about Christmas, a little bit of Christmas history, questions that sometimes maybe you wonder about or you were asked. And I thought we'd just run through those real briefly. Number one is, what does Noel mean? We'll be seeing that in just a few moments. And uh, most believe it actually is the Latin for birthday, and uh, it's in respect for Jesus' birthday. Uh, Some uh, scholars would even take it back, the etymology of the word Noel, back to the old French word of news. Uh, and the sense that when the news of Christ was given by the angels, it was the the good news, the hope of Christmas. So, Noel, number two. The second question we have here is, what's the scoop on the wise men? That was one I used to always wonder about. What's the scoop on the wise men? I mean, who are these guys, and where did they come from? Well, we know they came from uh, probably came from the east, and we have good reason to believe that uh, when Daniel was in the Babylonian Empire, if you'll remember, he was taken uh, out of his native land, out of Israel, and when the Babylonian Empire conquered uh, the Jewish people. And he was taken because he was one of the brightest and the best. And, of course, uh, he was able to prophesy for the king, for Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, then his writings and his wisdom was established. They probably had uh, multiple copies of writings and even some of what we would call scripture today and that was probably studied, and we believe that's probably how they knew. Uh, The word magi simply means one who studies the stars. And so uh, from that, uh, they were given, and and we believe probably understood some of the scriptures were given revelation and understanding on that, and came to worship the king when they saw the star. Now, where did the star come from? And again, we're not positive that we know. Uh, Origen, one of the early church fathers, Uh, believed it to be a comet, and we know that Halley's comet appeared during that time on August the 25th at 7 B.C. and lasted approximately about 63 days. Uh, Also, there's the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter uh, that many believe caused uh, the light itself. So, uh, And again, we're trying to understand that from a perspective which people outside the church will sometimes ask. Number four, Did baby Jesus know the shepherds and wise men were there worshiping him? I had a child ask me that one time. Uh, And uh, I don't believe he probably did. Uh, And the reason I say that is because of the doctrine of the kenosis, which means that he emptied himself. We know that from Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus uh, purposefully gave up uh, many of his divine attributes so that he might relate to us so that he might be as a man here on earth while he uh, dwelt among us. So as a baby, he was probably not aware at that specific moment, although I do believe he was before and after uh, that time. Uh, Did Jesus do any miracles as a child? And one of the reasons I put that on there is because there are a lot of questions that come up, and there are some Gnostic Gospels. We've talked about that in the past. And uh, there are some old fables and legends about how Jesus himself, uh, when he was a child, would get mad and, um, you know, Make birds and, and zap kids and these kind of things, uh, which we have no historical accuracy for, whichever, uh, whatsoever. Uh, and we know that in chapter two of, of John, matter of fact, I believe it's verse eleven, that we see that Jesus uh, actually accomplished or performed his first miracle in Cana in Galilee. Incidentally, does anybody know what that miracle was? That's right, turn the water in. turn the water into wine. Uh, number six, what did Mary know about Jesus? Well, uh, if we understand those Scriptures and that she had access to the, some of the prophecy, we know that the angel came and spoke to her. Uh, we know that Simon later on, on the eighth day, uh, makes uh, some revelation and gives her some information as well as the shepherds. Uh, we can conclude that she knew that he was a king that he was a Savior, that he would bring God to the people, Emmanuel, God with us, that the angels worshipped him. He certainly got that probably from the shepherds, and that he would give light to the Gentiles, as Simon told her uh, on Jesus' eighth day as they went to the temple. So those are just a few facts about Christmas that I think it's good for us to understand. Are you ready for Christmas? Preparing for Christmas. Sad commentary. I would say that's fairly norm normal for a lot of folks as we look this morning at Christmas what that means we're going to look at a couple of passages one the first one we'll look at is Matthew chapter three is speaks and tells of the story of John the Baptist who his purpose was to prepare the way for Christ in a sense prepare the way for Christmas and as we consider that, I want us to consider in our own hearts, what are we doing to prepare ourselves for Christmas? Are in fact, we prepared for Christmas. You know, the sad commentary for uh, that older couple is that they were starting in the wrong place. They were thinking of Christmas as an event, as a time of maybe consumerism of snow, and when you leave the aspect of Jesus out of Christmas, if you think about it, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. When you start at the wrong place, you'll end in the wrong place. know, I remember, and you've heard this story before, my brother and I were driving back from South Dallas this week, and it reminded me of when I first moved here. And I've told this story before. I was in my little red Toyota Tercel with all my stuff packed up, and it was my. I'd already been to the Metroplex three times, so I no longer needed a map. Uh, I understood Dallas-Fort Worth. I didn't need a map. I'd brought a map the first three times. I know where I'm going. I'm going to 35, and I'm going, I'm going straight to 20, then I'm going to 35, and then I'm going to go north, and then there's Seminary Drive, and I take a left on Seminary Drive, and I'll be at my illustrious seminary at that time. So it won't be hard. I don't need a map. I'm a self-made man. Thank you very much. Uh, I can get around just fine without one of those sissy pieces of paper. And uh, so I take off without my sissy paper. And uh, I see 35. And I turn on 35. And I begin to drive north. I begin to think, this doesn't really look that familiar. Matter of fact, it seems like I've driven a lot further than I've done the previous three times that I've come to the Metroplex. And then I saw something that let me know that I was not on the right road. It was a building, a big building on my left, and it said Christ for the Nations. And I thought to myself, I've never seen that building before. And I would have recognized Christ for the Nations. Matter of fact, I might have checked that out because it's a little bit closer to my house. I, I, I would have remembered Christ for the Nations. I know I've never seen that before. It began to rain, and sure enough, in a few minutes I'm in downtown Dallas. See, I was looking for 35W, not 35E. I didn't realize there were two 35s. And it would have behooved me to have looked at a map and really understood my directions. The problem was is I would never get to my seminary on 35E. I had made a wrong turn, and I was continuing on that path. And I was ignorant. Until I saw Christ for the nations, then I recognized I was not on the right, right path. You know, in Jesus' day there were a lot of people on the wrong path. They were on the wrong road. And Jesus had, or in God in his infinite mercy, had sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. To let them know that the promised Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. And I want to show you the right road. I want to give you a road of grace that you can receive and that you can get on and that you can, that will take you to God. As we think about Christmas this morning, I think it would behoove us to glean a couple of the principles and the lessons that John was preaching to the people of that day. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, "...in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert in Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and is near." This is He who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, voice of the one calling in the desert: "Prepare the way for the Lord, and make straight the paths for Him." Prepare the way. It was not uncommon in that day and age for uh, servants or trusted trusted workers to go out before the monarchs and prepare the way. To alert the people, to make sure the roads were right, to make sure that there weren't any hidden dangers. And so that often, there often would be a forerunner. And John the Baptist was a forerunner for Christ. And he said, prepare the way. I think that's a good way, a good word for us this morning, for us to prepare. And as believers, for us to prepare for Christmas, is I looked up a word search on that. That word in the Hebrew, it literally means uh, to clear out, to clear out, to make the way clear. And, you know, in our house, if we ever want to park the the car in the garage, which sometimes we'll do over the Christmas holidays, then I have to go in there and clear some things out. It, it's not just a matter of trying to get it in there, trying to stuff it in there. I've got to clear some things out. I've got to prepare. So it's true for us. As we come into this season, as we come wanting to connect with Christ, wanting to worship, for most of us, that means there needs to be a clearing. There are things in our life that inhibit or block us from really having intimacy with the Father. We need to prepare the way. We need to prepare ourselves. You know, for me, when I prepare sermons, I usually start on Monday morning. And uh, I have to prepare my mind to designate that time specifically uh, to preparation, to trying to get an outline done. And that means I need a specific time, I need a specific place, and I need a specific text. And everything else has to kind of get cleared out. You know, I, I try the old way of, I'll, I, well, I'll get here and I'll check my emails and I'll check my voicemails and then I'll see what all is going on because, you know, if I don't, somebody might get mad. Somebody might really have a need, da, da, da You know, kind of do that little thing. And we all have that when we go to work. But if I don't specifically say, I'm going to prepare this, I'm going to clear everything out, I'm going to make this my time, then it won't happen or it will happen in a greatly reduced form. And I also need a specific place. You see, I'm, I'm too ADDDD and whatever other letters come after that to not have... I can't go to Starbucks and, pre, and prepare. I just can't. If you see me in Starbucks, that means I've already got an outline and I'm asking somebody questions. Uh, I'm trying to work through it. But I need a specific place. And then I need a specific text. So it's true for we as believers and even as an unbeliever. We're going to have to decide what our text is. We're going to have to say in our hearts, I'm willing to take this time to investigate or to begin to develop a relationship with God by spending time with Him. I want to give you just a a real small thing that you can do. Maybe you're here this morning and, you know, I just can't get started. I don't know where to begin. We have some little devotionals out there uh, that I would encourage you that, honestly, only take about two minutes. And maybe this year what you want to do is make a two-minute-a-day commitment to Christ. That might be a good place to start Christmas. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's not very much. Well, let me tell you, it's more than zero minutes. And I would like, what I'd really like to see you do is just get in a habit. Get in that habit. And certainly, I, I would love to see you uh, proceed from there. But there are some free devotionals. You might want to just pick one of those up. And maybe that's where you begin. Maybe that's how you prepare. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you this morning to prepare By having a time, a place, and a text. Secondly, confession. We see John preaching confession. In verse 6 he says, Confess your sins, and they were baptized with Him in the Jordan. Confession. You know, there are a lot of different aspects of confession. We did a confession this morning as we read our church confession here. That's uh, a version of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, sometimes when we sing songs, they are uh, confessional in nature. matter of fact, even as when we sing Amazing Grace, we, you know, that was really kind of a, a confession of the writer himself when he wrote Amazing Grace, Newton. And when he, he did that, that was kind of what God had done in his life. And he recognized it was the amazing grace of God that had saved a wretch like him. Another form of confession, and we all we all recognize this, is when we confess our, our sins. And a lot of times we go, well, why do I need to do that? I mean, what's the purpose of that? God already knows, doesn't He? You know, I have a three-year-old son, and after we punish him, put him in time out or whatever it be, we, we ask him to tell us what it was. No, no why were, Brock, why were you in time out? And he will usually tell us why he was, but sometimes he won't. Sometimes he'll just be so stubborn he'll just, he's not going to say anything and we'll invite him to continue uh, to stay in time out. And um, it's not that I think I'm getting some big repentance here. It's an acknowledgement, a recognition, and it's also coming to the place of where your heart is not so hardened that you will confess it. You see, that's just a short step to hardness of heart when we come to the place to where we ignore confession. It is a humbling act when we confess our sins before God, but in fact, scripturally, we've been commanded to do it. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Confession is important. The third thing... That John told the people to do was repent. Matter of fact, that was his message collectively. Repent. Repent. What does repentance mean, though? It's obviously more than simple confession, simple acknowledgement. Repentance means change, in short. I'll give you an example. One of the things that you'll hear me say sometimes is, you know, I really need to. Start eating right and lose some weight. And that may be a confession, but to be frank with you, it's pretty empty. I usually don't do anything with it. Uh, It's just a kind of a confession that a lot of people make a lot of times. Somehow it psychologically makes us feel better and we kind of make ourselves feel like maybe we're going to do something and others may even pretend like they uh, uh, believe us as well. But what real repentance would be is, I'm giving up fried food for 30 days. Now, that's repentance, okay? Or for me, I'm not going to eat any sweets. I'm not going to eat any chocolate. That's like fall down on my face and beg and cry repentance kind of thing. You know what I mean for me? It's not just a recognition. It's a change. It's a transformation. Repentance is one of the things that is imperative for us as we look to Christ, as we want to engage and worship. Christ. You know, it's as simple as sometimes people saying, you know, I need to get a handle on my spending. I'm wasting too much money. That's a confession. Tearing up your credit card, that's repentance. What about you this morning? Have you come to the point of where you're preparing to meet Christ, confessing your need for Him and then repenting? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ at all. You don't have a relationship with Him. That's where we begin. That's where it happens. Matter of fact, that's the next point. What God wants to give us for Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is speaking here, and if you'll remember, Paul had persecuted Christians. He had persecuted those who had followed Christ. And what's interesting to me is, Paul was very sincere. I think it's always important for us to remember. It wasn't that Paul was not sincere. It's not that he was not passionate. He was extremely passionate. He was extremely sincere. And what it teaches me, and hopefully teaches us, is that Sincerity of belief does not equate truth. He was so uh, honest and so forthright, but he was honestly wrong. In a sense, you could say that he maybe had a strong faith, but a bad theology. He didn't understand what Christ, who Christ was and what Christ had brought to the people. But he knows now. And we pick up here in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful, appointing me to His service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What's wonderful here is we see that The grace of God was poured out upon Paul. It was something that he had not earned or deserved. But God, in His infinite mercy, (laughs) literally (laughs) shined His light down upon Paul and showed him grace and revealed the truth to him. Just as God today reveals the truth through His Word to us. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like, of what grace can do, enabling grace, entrusting grace, employing grace. And for those of us who've experienced that grace of Christ, he wants us to use it by telling the story of how we've experienced grace, by praying for others, by writing them notes, by serving where needed, by looking for those who are in need and helping them in Jesus' name. We see that mercy was extended, and mercy is that taking away of the misery. If, if grace, in fact, is what we don't deserve, is getting something we don't deserve, uh, mercy, in one sense, is not getting what we do deserve, the penalty of our sins. But it's more than that, it's the relieving or the removal of the misery, of the pain, of the penalty of sin when we, are un, when we deliberately sin and we deliberately do not heed God's word there may be grace that's offered but we can't experience the mercy until we receive the grace until we employ it the faith that Paul speaks of here we know that faith is required and faith is what helps us in the process to know Christ. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, it's by faith that we are saved. By grace we are saved through faith. The Bible tells us that Abraham was accredited with righteousness because of his faith. You know, the picture there that that I think of is, it's like if I go to a restaurant with some friends or with some folks, And this isn't true, but let's just pretend that my credit card is maxed out and I go to pay my bill and they say, I'm sorry, there's no credit on your card. There's no credit on your account. Matter of fact, you have a pretty big late penalty and this interest is accruing at a phenomenal rate. It's accruing at like 32%. And matter of fact, that amount is so big, you'll never pay it off. But when someone who has good credit offers to pay, I can put my faith in their credit. In their good credit. That they have right credit and I can move on like it's taken care of. Because it is. That's exactly what Christ did for us. You see, our spiritual credit was ruined in a sense. We had a huge penalty. It was accruing enormous interest and we were never going to be able to pay it off. But because of God's grace, His unmerited favor, as I have trusted and placed my faith in Him, I have gained spiritual credit so that when God sees me, my credit is clean. My spiritual resume, my spiritual credit report has been made right. Not because I've earned it. Not because I deserve it. Not because I worked real hard and got it all worked down. Not because I did so many good deeds. Now I've, I've compensated for my sin but because in mercy by grace through faith he has absolved my account what about you this morning have you experienced that have you come to that saving knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ the bible tells us that god so loved the world that he gave he gave what a beautiful picture remember paul's bad theology so to speak his misinformed theology, and now he receives grace by faith. He receives the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, I love this passage, 1 Timothy 1 15. Look at this passage right here, Paul speaking. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And this was a doctrine, so to speak. He's saying, This is an accepted saying of the church that deserves full acceptance. And there are eight Greek words that are actually used here. There are a couple more here in English. But there are eight Greek words that are used. And I think this is, in a sense, the message of Christmas. The message of the Gospel. It's given right here in verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ, the Anointed One, the Promised One, the Messiah, the hope of the world. Jesus, God in the flesh, made incarnate. And what does it say that He did? It tells us this, that He came into the world to save sinners. We know that that was His purpose because in Matthew one twenty one, the angel told Joseph before His birth, it is He who will save His people from their sins. We know in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. As we continue in that passage, verse 16, For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul said that I might receive eternal life, both life now and in the after. Eternal life. You know, there's a uh, hotel chain in, in England right now called Travel Lodge, maybe familiar with it. And they're actually offering a free night, uh, one free night uh, on either Christmas Eve or Christmas night. If you're, if you're a couple and your name is Mary and Joseph. If you can legally prove that, if you have a driver's license or valid identification that both of your name Mary and Joseph, then you get a free night stay uh, in the Travelodge Hotel. And they were interviewing the CEO and he said, well, we, you know, our industry missed it the first time and uh, we're trying to make room this time. Can I tell you this? That a room has been prepared for you. That God has prepared a place for you and His family. The question is, will you receive it? Will you receive the grace and the mercy that He offers, the love that He offers? Will you receive that by faith this morning?